You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As if you needed another reason to potentially hate the French, how about uh, jail time for daring to say, don't get vaxxed? From the Who Didn't See This Coming file, a member of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is a alleged pedophile. Oh, and St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, you know, America's parish, was forced to do a mass of reparations, and no, not that kind of reparations. I'm Andrew Coppins, and all of that means it's one thing and one thing only, a WTF Wednesday right here on Critical Thinking. That's right, folks. It is a WTF Wednesday. I'm Andrew Coppins. You can follow me on social media. I am at The Coppins Show. That's on X. That is also on Facebook. You can find me there. You can find the show there. Also, you can see the show every single Monday through Friday on X. You can watch on our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. So whichever way you would like to consume the show, you can. And speaking of consuming the show, thank you to each and every single one of you who listen to the show via podcast. That's right. Just make sure that you either follow or subscribe, whatever your favorite podcasting platform wants you to do. Make sure you're downloading it so you don't get a chance to miss a single episode. And then, of course, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating, a review on your favorite podcasting platform, especially over on Apple Podcasts, where it makes a big, big difference. Now, I wouldn't ask you to lie and say that you really love the show if you don't. But, you know, if you do like the show, make sure you let other people know that you like the show so that um, other people can find the show that you consume. All right, all of that stuff out of the way, it is time for us to dive right on in to WTF because we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the Federalist Papers later on in the program. So let's dive in. <laughs> Anyway, um, up front, I told you about French law. I told you about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and I told you of a 
situation that calls that called for a mass of reparations. Where should we start first? And by the way, I'm excluding like three or four stories here that could easily get the treatment. But I think we need to start in France, where <clears throat> France, according to Not the Bee, may start imprisoning those who discourage COVID-19 vaccination. From the article, this new legislation in French can uh, in France in France, not French, this new legislation in France can potentially punish those who oppose health treatments such as COVID-19 vaccines or chemotherapy. According to the Western Standard, the legislation includes fines of up to 45,000 euros, approximately $48,600, or even imprisonment for up to three years for individuals convicted of advising against, quote, medical treatments that are deemed, quote, obviously suitable like the COVID-19 vaccination, except for they're not obviously suitable when you actually do the comparison of outcomes for those who didn't and those who did and the adverse events and the myocarditis, the tachycardia, the even mild versions of reactions. Um, the people who are seemingly as we continue to go further and further away from these vaccinations and the vaccine everybody scenario about what 70 to 80 percent of the entire world's population has been vaccinated um, the increasing potential for cancer in those individuals versus those who didn't when we start studying the populations and the outcomes further and further down the road the suggestion that we must then do what? Shut up about the fact that, hey, by the way, if your government is advising you to or your doctor is advising you to, do you understand the risks associated with this type of a situation? That's all that's being asked. And yet here we are. That's all that's being asked. Now, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but um, I, I just... imprisonment for daring to speak differently the thought police literally coming to your door jail time for y'all one lawmaker thomas menage representing marie le pen's national rally party excuse me national rally party criticized the law as an infringement on freedom while another lawmaker from a left-wing alliance voiced concerns about the legislation's potential for misuse jean-francois coulomay stated quote the sincerity of this fight against dangerous sectarian developments must not consist in punishing complementary care practices or the consumption of uh phytotherapeutic products by law while the legislation addresses issues like COVID vaccines and chemotherapy, its primary targets are so-called gurus, right? And this goes to what is taking place in France. And, and I don't want to get too deep into the woods of what's going on over there other than to say they're importing tons and tons of northern African and uh, Muslim populations into this country and they have a very different way of dealing with medicine, right? They have a very different view on what constitutes medicine. Needless to say, there are also people who are dying needlessly 
for the refusal of taking basic medicine, basic Western medicine, at its face value. When there's actual medication and actual procedures that can save somebody's life. Now, I will say this. I believe in religious freedom as well. Hey, if somebody wants to to not take a treatment because of their deeply held religious beliefs, they have the right to do so. It sucks knowing that you could save them. It sucks knowing X, Y, Z, right? It really does. But this is the reality of a world in which you have to respect somebody's religious freedom. Now, when you get into gurus and, and them manipulating people into believing that somehow basic, normal, non-toxic treatment is a problem. I understand the issue that's in front of this, but that's on education. That's on teaching people. That's on assimilation of culture. That's on assimilation of medicine. More than anything else, I don't know what else you could possibly do about it. That's the problem that we have here. There, there, I, I just don't know what you could possibly do other than education at this point in assimilation of culture. But we already know that that is not happening. If you take a look at what's going on in Paris, right, and, and in Lyon, and in other pockets of France where there's literally just the ghettoization of immigrants. And what do I mean by that? I mean they are literally self putting putting themselves you know, self-segregating, putting themselves into pockets of the rings around France uh, in, or the rings around Paris, I should say, not the rings around France, but they're putting themselves in pockets like the airport area. Don't go there. Get out of there. Get into the central part of, of Paris and you'll be much safer. You know, that's what everybody who's traveled there will tell you that there's a lot of safety issues in Paris, a lot of people tell you to avoid taking the subway, um, taking public transportation in Paris. And why? Because it's really unsafe. It is probably way more unsafe than San Francisco or Chicago or even New York City in its public transportation issues. That all being said, there's a difference between attempting to educate in legislating this stuff. It's antithetical to our American eyes, but in France, this is something that they've attempted to do basically since their revolution, right? So am I surprised by this? No, no, I'm not surprised one bit. Speaking of not surprised one bit, <clears throat> this story from my home state and out of Gamey County, Again, that's in Wisconsin, and if you're curious about the actual area that Outgame County is, think Appleton, Wisconsin, so kind of in between Green Bay and Lake Winnebago, okay? An Outagamey County human resources employee and member of, wait for this, the sexually explicit and blasphemous Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, because those people are super fantastic, expialidocious, right? was arrested for it. Wait, 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 wait for it. Child sex exploitation. Uh, oh, and did I forget child pornography possession? Alleged, of course. Now, 
all of this is alleged because, you know, proven innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, right? Except for um, the story is horrific because this individual is alleged to have taken part in this person is alleged to have possessed and attempted to make that's the child exploitation part of this child pornography in multiple counties throughout the state of Wisconsin. The was arrested in Outagamie County on charges involving the Kenosha County, which is on the border uh, on Lake Michigan on the border of Illinois. Okay. It is literally the southernmost county on Lake Michigan that you can find in the state of Wisconsin. But it only gets worse because the man alleged to possess said child material and exploit said children, well, his husband happens to be a teacher at the Menasha Unified School District, which is uh, just a little bit south of Appleton in Outagamie County. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, no no danger to children there. You know, that, that there's possibly no no linkage. No idea that this was going on except for there was travel and... Mm. Oh, and, and did I tell you this? The mayor of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, otherwise known as the halfway point between Milwaukee and Green Bay, but I digress. Yeah, he, um, that mayor, just so happens to have been found in pictures in drag right next to said pervert being alleged to possess child porn on multiple occasions, all in support of the Brew City Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. That's right, the mayor of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, folks. The mayor of Little Sheboygan, I'm, I'm just going to Google this right quick here for you. Um, happens to have a population, according to the 2020 census, of just short of 50,000. This is the... I'll just say this. If a city of 50,000 people in the middle of the eastern part of the state of Wisconsin is a drag aficionado adjacent to the Sisters of Perpetual Blasphemy, I mean indulgence. How deep is the rot of this country? How does that happen in a normal society? in a society that's not given over to the spirit of the age. I'm just asking for a friend. I I don't even want to get into the details of what is being alleged to have occurred with this gross individual. But the chances of the mayor of Sheboygan knowing, being involved in, being supportive of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence? Huh? 
and and then knowing this guy who happens to be you know we couldn't see the sexually perverted and blasphemous sisters of perpetual indulgence who who could have possibly seen that they may have proclivities to other perversions and oh by the way did did, did i forget to mention to you that um they're attempting through this type of an organization and others like NAMBLA and um, talks in high-level academia of normalizing child predation as a sexual perversion and not just a, well, um, disgusting, illegal act. That's right. Hey, if you want to diddle kids, high academia, the mayor of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, this individual would believe this should be normalized. That's the WTF in all of this. We have a nexus of Appleton, Wisconsin, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What the hell is going on? Now, speaking of groomers, I mean drag trannies and uh, drag gays or or whatever. Uh, did you hear about, did you hear the one in which they tricked a famous Catholic cathedral into hosting a celebration of said perversion and prostitution known as a funeral of Catholic rite? Well, that happened at, you know, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, otherwise known as America's National Parish, one of the most famous cathedrals in the entire world, let alone New York City itself. Yeah, um, folks, this happened. That's right. This took place, literally, a a funeral to a drag icon where a thousand people in all sorts of various state of disgust and perversion got up and celebrated this individual with a Catholic Mass at the most famous cathedral in America and probably next to the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. This happened at the pulpit, by the way. This whore, this great whore, Saint Cecilia, mother of all whores. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I can't even play the rest of it. This was so bad. I mentioned a mass of reparations. You might be thinking, well, it's a mass uh, demanding reparations for slavery. No. Cardinal Timothy Dolan, formerly of Milwaukee, by the way, um, but the cardinal in the Archdiocese of New York City, immediately ordered a mass of reparations for the blasphemy and harm done at this mass to that church and to the offense that it created for God. So, at least they cleansed the church a little bit and gave God their, I'm sorry for offending you, Mass. At least some action has taken place for this absolute act of blasphemy. 
And naturally, the media, mainstream media, has run cover. Well, this is just a celebration of who this individual was. Except for, no. If you want to do that, have at it at some funeral home that wants to do it or have at it at some you know, event space in New York City. Go for it. But you knew exactly what you were attempting to do here. You knew what you were getting into. You knew exactly what you were doing. You tricked the Catholic Church into believing that this person wanted a Catholic funeral. And instead, what you were attempting to do was to bring your perversion in the sight of God and mock God in his house. Now, on a side note, uh, one of the things that you didn't see but other videos have shown is the priest just sitting there and taking it, just sitting there, doing nothing, continuing to produce the Catholic rite of a funeral. Um, while they turned it into a celebration of that person's sin, this would be akin to, how else could we put it? This would be akin to celebrating a murderer and celebrating the act of murder from the pulpit. Not an act of repentance of the sin, not an act of contrition and hope that God uh, and that Jesus's forgiveness can be met upon this person or that in their moment, you know, last moments of life, they accepted God and repented of sin. No. What the hell was the priest doing just sitting there and allowing for all of this to happen to begin with? Uh, you know what? It's probably that he was more afraid of the 1,000 people that were in attendance and the drag queens and the pillars of the LGBTQ community or whatever alphabet soup today exists there that were in attendance. He was more afraid of those people than of spitting in the eye of God, than he was of offending God in his own house. What does that tell you about the state of our society, that a priest would be more afraid of offending that group than God? Because if he was more afraid of offense of God in his house, you know what would have happened? Nope, we're not doing this. Get out. Nope, not happening. You are not perverting in our house. Or was it that maybe this priest, don't know him from Adam, has his own proclivities that are of this nature? Would it be beyond the Catholic Church to have that in their priesthood? Hell no. 
But what other logical explanation is there other than one of two things? They were more that priest was more afraid of the people in attendance than God or that he's on their side. And what does that say about the tentacles of the spirit of the age that we have long talked about Pat and I and myself now have been talking about when it comes to this stuff. This is how deep the rot is. This is how bad things are. And I'm sorry that today WTF is full of this type of talk. I really am. But my God, wake up. We can't even take action on a basic fundamental tenet of Catholicism. We can't even have a priest stand up into the pulpit and say, no, not happening. Over. See you later. Get out of the house of God. Come back or stand in that pulpit and do what? Tell them to their face to repent. In the season, in the season of Lent, the season that calls us to repent of our sins, to stand up in that pulpit and tell that to them right in their face. That's action. That's bold action. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Instead, nah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to perform the Catholic rite of funeral. What the bleep? But with all of that being said, do not forget, you have a limited time still here in February to go to our friends, get yourself some coffee brand coffee, but do so with Jeremy's Coffee Club. You have a chance to get 50% off of your first month 50% off of your first month, and these are hand-picked every single month, fresh roasted, delivered directly to you every single month. A new one, a new origin, a new blend delivered to you. If you like to explore coffee, this is absolutely perfect to do so. And if you go over to coffeebrandcoffee.com and you click on the Roaster's Choice, or you go in the link that will be in the podcast or uh, the description of the show on Rumble and elsewhere. If you click on that link, you can get 50% off of your first month in this coffee club. 
You can also use the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your overall purchase if you want to purchase other things as well. So go ahead and check it out if you like to explore coffee. I think it is an absolutely fantastic idea. And um, for those that like coffee, this is, I, I can't think of another way to get some value back. You're talking about twelve fifty for fresh roasted right in front of you, you know, hand-picked origin coffee. That, that's expensive, folks. It's not cheap. Coffee is not cheap to buy from a wholesale perspective. So twelve fifty for your first month, go try it out. Cancel at any time, by the way. No questions asked. So you can go to coffeebrandcoffee.com or you can check the link in the description of this video or in the podcast description. Go ahead and find that link and get yourself some great coffee brand coffee where they care about their coffee, not yours or their politics. Just saying. All right. All of that out of the way, it is time for us to discuss the Federalist Papers. That's right, folks. It is the Federalist Papers under the microscope once again. And today we're talking Federalist number 12 titled The Utility of the Union in Respect to Revenue. And Hamilton is the one continuing to write here talking about the need for national unity in order to bring in the necessary revenue, a.k.a. taxes, every libertarian's favorite subject, right? Well, he does start with a note on the state of commerce's growth and the interwovenness with the agrarian nature of the country at the time of this writing. And we were beginning to see the exploration of mining and minerals and commerce, not just trade in cotton or wheat or the agrarian uh, parts of the American society. We were seeing a very beginning of uh, not necessarily the total industrial revolution, but the very, 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 very beginning of the industrialization of this country. We were beginning to understand the natural resources that had value. We were beginning to not just tobacco, cotton, wheat, corn, whatever have you, as our chief uh, uh you know, exports and this, that, and everything in between. So, you know, we're talking taxes, we're talking commerce, we're talking revenue. And this is how it begins in Federalist number 12. The prosperity of commerce is now perceived and acknowledged by all enlightened statesmen to be the most useful as well as the most productive source of national wealth and as accordingly become a primary object of their political cares. By multiplying the means of gratification, by promoting the introduction and circulation of the precious metals, those darling objects of human avarice and enterprise, it serves to vivify, or vivify and invigorate the channels of industry and to make them flow with greater activity and cop copiousness. The assiduous merchant, the laborious hu husbandman, the active mechanic and the industrious manufacturer, all orders of men, look forward with eager expectation and growing alacrity to this pleasing reward of their toils. The oft-agitated question between agriculture and commerce has, from indubitable experience, received a decision which has silenced the rivalship that once subsisted between them 
and is proved to the satisfaction of their friends that their interests are intimately blended and interwoven. Interesting here. And basically what is being told to us is that the, the two things can be combined, that there, there's no real rivalry ship anymore, and that, more importantly, they actually have a common good to them. Because Hamilton continues saying that it has been found in various countries that in proportion as commerce has flourished, land has risen, excuse me, that land has risen in value. That's a key point here, but he continues, and how could it have happened otherwise? Could that which procures a freer vent for the products of the earth, which furnishes new incitements to the cultivation of land, which is the most powerful instrument in increasing the quantity of money in a state, could that, in fine, which is the faithful handmaid of labor and industry, in every shape, fail to augment that article, which is the prolific parent of far the greatest part of the objects upon which they are exerted? It is astonishing that so simple a truth should ever have had an adversary, and it is one among a multitude of proofs how apt a spirit of ill-informed jealousy or of too great abstraction and refinement is to lead men astray from the plainest truths of reason and conviction. So what is what is actually being said here? So in that second half of, of that kind of opening salvo, Hamilton is saying, well, duh, when you can get your products to market faster when you can actually start yielding more crops and and doing all those things. Your land value is going to go up and the value of things are going to go up, right? They knew the basics of economics even then, right? Unless we study the Austrian theory or this theory or that theory. Uh, here's a theory for you when you can produce more and get it to more markets and faster, your value of everything is going to go up. Shocked, not shocked at all. And then he goes on to talk about the people who are basically the thinkers. They're the troublemakers here, not the doers. But what about taxes in commerce? Because Hamilton goes on to note in the very next paragraph that taxes should be about the money that's in circulation and about how quickly it is circulating. He notes what is happening in Germany in that time as the king was struggling to maintain order and defenses of his interest because he didn't have enough, wait for this, enough necessary funding. And I quote from the Federalist Paper number 12. The ability of a country to pay taxes must always be proportioned in a great degree to the quantity of money in circulation, like I just said, and to the celerity which it circulates, basically the speed in which it is circulating. Basic economics, folks. We continue. Commerce contributing to both these objects must of necessity render the payment of taxes easier and facilitate their requisite supplies to the treasury, the hereditary dominions of the Empire of Germany contain a great extent of fertile, cultivated, and populous territory, a large proportion of which is situated in mild and luxuriant climates. In some parts of this territory are to be found the best gold and silver mines in Europe, and yet, from the want of the fostering influence of commerce, that monarch can boast but slender revenues, a.k.a. taxes. 
he has several times been compelled to owe obligations to the penassery uh, succors of other nations for the preservation of his essential interest and is unable upon the strength of his own resources to sustain a long or continued war. AKA he doesn't have the money because he is dealing with like five, 10, 15, 20 different parts. So you remember Germany at this point in time, while a broader concept was a totally separate entity on, on top of entity, you know, Bavaria, uh, Saxony and blah, blah, blah. We could go on and on and on about the, the various kind of nation states that, that subsisted here. Um, but he's noting that the inability for him to collect the revenue from the commerce, from the land, right, has begot major problems in so much as that he is in debt to others for his protection. However, Hamilton doesn't believe that direct taxation is an answer here, as he states the following in Federalist number 12. But it is not in this aspect of the subject alone that union will be seen to concede to the purpose of revenue. There are other points of view in which its influence will appear more immediate and decisive. It is evidence from the state of the country, from the habits of the people, from the experience we have had on the point itself, that it is impractical to raise in very, any very considerable sums by direct taxation. Tax laws have in vain been multiplied. New methods to enforce the collection have in vain been tried. The public expectation has been uniformly disappointed, and the treasuries of the states have remained empty. The popular system of administration inherent in the nature of popular government, conceding with, uh, coinciding excuse me, with the real scarcity of money incident to a languid and multitude, uh, multi-lated state of trade has here to throw defeated every experiment for extensive collections and has at length taught the different legislatures the folly of attempting them. So as we look here, what is he saying? Well, look at the articles of confederation and look at the old ways of collecting taxes. You know, we had to have a tax collector physically go and try to get your taxes from you directly or be at the port or do this or do that. Right. We, we had to have all these various places and, and various 13 areas to collect all of this, and we had different money and different taxation and this, that, and everything in between. And, well, it turned out that um, the states were left with empty coffers, the national government was in trouble, and our money supply was an issue. Problems, anybody? So, if not direct taxation, what does Hamilton favor, as he says here in Federalist 12? Well, he looks at trade and other, quote, indirect, tax, indirect taxes, stating the following. In America, it is evident that we must a long time depend for the means of revenue chiefly on such duties. In most parts of it, excises must be confined within a narrow compass. And again, he is talking about indirect taxes here. Excise taxes, uh, tariffs. In most parts of it, excises must be confined within a narrow compass. The genuine, uh, the genius of the people will ill brook the inquisitive and perpetuary spirit of excise laws, a.k.a. they're going to find ways to get around. The pockets of the farmers, on the other hand, will reluctantly yield but scanty supplies, a.k.a. they're not going to give their 
you know, corn or wheat or whatever to some sort of national situation, like what was going on at this point in time in France, right? Yeah. You as a farmer had the duty, if you will, pun intended, to give a certain percentage of your crop yield to the stores, right, in France. But continuing on, Hamilton says, in the unwelcome shape of impositions on their houses and lands, in personal properties too precarious, and invisible a fund to be laid hold of in any other way than by the imperceptible agency of taxes on consumption. Which I find interesting because what we're talking about today and what many libertarians today talk about is a consumption-based tax system or some sort of income-based tax system that is fair or getting rid of the income tax altogether. But then how do you raise any sort of national taxes? How do you get revenue for the government's running, for the national defense, for the basic duties, if, if, if you want to strip away everything else, of what a national government should be doing, protecting the borders and national defense? If you want to just go that route, how do you do it? Consumption, except for Hamilton says that, that that's not a good idea. Now, one of the chief issues that Hamilton brings up throughout this essay is the talk of collection of taxes, as you've probably borne witness to, especially since back then it was an eye-to-eye, a personal type of thing instead of existing in the ether and just taken from you without, you know, you likely giving it a second thought. Thanks Woodrow Wilson for that, right? Like we have today with the federal income tax. But I digress. The point that Hamilton is making is that the United States of America is wholly inhospitable to this direct taxation, to this concept of being able to send somebody out to just collect the taxes. We have rivers, lakes, streams, bays. We have all uh, we have inhospitable mountainous regions. We have all sorts of things that make it impossible for this type of a situation to exist. So we need to look to our trade to be the area in which we, as a nation, go ahead and collect our revenue, right? We, the Confederacy or a state-by-state, state-to-state trade system is not enforceable. A state-by-state system of taxation is not enforceable because of the nature, literally, of this country. He continues to say the following. The relative situations of these states, the number of rivers, which with which they are intersected, and of bays that wash their shores, the uh, falsity of communication in every direction, the affinity of language and manners, the familiar habits of intercourse. All these are circumstances that would conspire to render an illicit trade between them a matter of little difficulty and would ensure frequent evasions of the commercial regulations of each other. The separate states or confederacies would be necessitated by mutual jealousy to avoid the temptations to that kind of trade by the lowness of their duties. The temper of our governments for a long time to come would not permit those rigorous uh, precautions by which the European nations guard the avenues into their respective countries, as well as by land, as by water, and which even there are found insufficient obstacles to the adventurous stragments of avarice. 
Again, he's literally saying you can't possibly protect against the evasion of taxes in this nature. That's why having one national government, according to Hamilton, in charge of the collection of indirect taxes makes it more likely to collect what is needed and avoid as much as possible the skipping out on taxes, at least in his mind, because he states the following. It is therefore evident that one national government would be able, at much less expense, to the extent that the duties on imports beyond comparison, further than would be practicable uh, to the states separately or to any partial confederacies. Hereto, though, uh, I believe it may safely be asserted that these duties have not upon an average exceeded in any state 3%. In France, they are estimated to be about 15%, and in Britain, they exceed this proportion. There seem to be nothing to hinder their being increased in this country to at least treble their present amount. The single article of ardent spirits under federal regulation might be made to furnish a considerable revenue upon a ratio to the importation into this state. The whole quantity imported into the United States may be estimated at four, million, uh, four millions of gallons, which, at a shilling per gallon, would produce 200,000 pounds. That article would well bear this rare rate of duty, and if it should tend to diminish the consumption of it, such an effect would be equally favorable to the agriculture, to the economy, to the morals, and to the health of the society. There is perhaps nothing so much as a subject of national extravagance as these spirits. Now, we're talking about the Whiskey Rebellion. We're talking about whiskey consumption and the morality and all of those things that, that we want to talk about, temperance and, and everything else. That's what Hamilton is talking about here. But he's also talking about the ability of taxes to do what? What the left has talked about to... to literally say, hey, we're going to tax the crap out of this thing because we're going to get revenue, and oh, by the way, you're likely to consume less of it because you don't like the increase in price, right? And that means uh, a good for society. Sin taxes. That, that's what Hamilton's talking about here as a way or a, a not a way, but a, an example of how you could raise funds on importation of this stuff and it doesn't really affect America other than those that are consum consuming it. I think it's interesting. But at the end of the essay, Hamilton ponders the question of what is going to happen to this country if it is divided. Taxes are not collected or collective. Naturally, according to him, the answer is not good. He says, what will be the consequence if we are not able to avail ourselves of the resources in question in its full extent? A nation cannot long exist without revenues. Destitute of this essential support, it must resign its independence and sink into the degraded condition of a province. This is an extremity to which no government will of choice accede. Revenue, therefore, must be had at all events. In this country, if the principal part be not drawn from commerce, it must fall with oppressive weight upon the land. It has been already intimated that excises, in their true signification, are too little in unison with the feelings of the people to admit of great use being made of that mode of taxation, nor, indeed, in the states, where almost the sole employment is agriculture, are the objects proper for excise sufficiently numerous to permit very ample collections in that way. 
personal estate, as has been before remarked, from the difficulty in tracing it cannot be subjected to large contributions by any other means than by taxes on consumption. In populous cities, it may be enough of the subject of conjecture to occasion the oppression of individuals without much aggregate benefit to the state. But beyond these circles, it must, in a great measure, escape the eye and the hand of the tax gatherer, as the necessities of the state, nevertheless, must be satisfied in some mode or other. The deficit of other resources must throw the principal weight of public burdens on the possessors of land. And as, on the other hand, the wants of the government can never obtain an adequate supply unless all the sources of revenue are open to its demands. The finances of the community under such embarrassments cannot be put into a situation consistent with its respectability or its security. Thus, we shall not even have the consolations of a full treasury to atone for the oppression of that valuable class of the citizens who are employed in the cultivation of the soil. But public and private distress will keep pace with each other in gloomy concert and unite in deploring the infatuation of those councils which led to disunion. So in other words, Hamilton doesn't really have an answer. Right? Because he says, wait a second, but if we put it on commerce, people won't consume and may not consume enough to fill the coffers needed for national defense or whatever else have you. Then he says, but you can't also then put the burden on landowners and landowners only because there's a scarcity of that supply. But you also then can't put it on the workers because the workers doing the work won't work. What's the answer? Well, do you put it on consumption? Maybe. Do you put it on all of the things? Do you open it up to every avenue to be able to give yourself a piece of the pie from pot A, pot B, pot C, right? And, and put it all together to give you that component. He seems to think that that could be the answer. It's interesting that he doesn't come to a stark conclusion other than indirect, not direct taxation being the answer. I think it is fascinating. What say you on Federalist number 12? Again, you can follow me on X. I am at The Coppin Show. You can find me on Facebook. You can find the show on Instagram at uh, Critical Thinking Show. With all of that being said, I hope each and every one of you have a great Wednesday. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.